Hello, this is Elise, and you're listening to Autism in Outer Space. Thanks so much for um, tuning in today. (laughs) I owe everyone apology. I am a little bit late with my episode this week. Um, I usually aim for Tuesday or Thursday for releasing episodes. Um, And I did record early this week. Um... I forget what day it was. It was like Tuesday or Wednesday, something like that. And um, I'm going to share my struggle with you, Um, especially as a newly diagnosed autistic. I have a lot of trouble with, I guess they're like intrusive thoughts, negative thoughts, you know, like um, that inner dialogue that is like, oh, you know, you're to this, you're to that. People think this of you. People think that of you you know, all this, all this negative, um, self-talk going on inside. And I had some of that this week, um, and struggled with it regarding recordings. I recorded that one earlier this week and I recorded one today actually. Um, and then listening, I like to listen back. Um, normally when I listen back, I think, okay, I don't, I don't sound as awful as I think I do. (laughs) And I made a lot more sense than I thought I did. (laughs) And I'm usually pretty, you know, I try to give myself grace. Um, But I had trouble with that this week. And I ended up deleting both recordings. Um, I guess the positive is that I can look at those as practice recordings, and they helped me gather my thoughts. But I have definitely had a lot of those negative thoughts and uh, it, made, it made it to the point where I couldn't um, publish them. <laughs> so I'm going to try again. I am going to use those previous recordings to gather my thoughts and I am going to continue with my goal of trying to be authentic and vulnerable and not worry about um, recording quality, well, recording quality might be kind of important if you're, especially if you're sensitive to poor audio recordings, but, um, not worry about stuttering, stammering, long pauses, um, things like that, because I know that most of the people listening are either wondering if they could be autistic, have a loved one who's autistic, or, are self-diagnosed or formally diagnosed themselves. So I know I don't need to worry. I know that you are going to be respectful of mistakes that I make. Um, I never thought of myself as a perfectionist, but I definitely have traits of perfectionism. As many autistics do, I guess. (laughs) Um, So today what I wanted to talk about is being a music therapist, um, being an autistic music therapist specifically. So for those of you that don't know, music therapy is an evidence-based practice of using um, music to work on non-musical goals. Um, Music therapists uh, go through an approved uh, program approved four-year bachelor program um, 
in music therapy. You can also become a music therapist by doing an alternative, um, like for example, you could do a, a degree, a bachelor's degree in performance or music ed, and then go ahead and get your master's in music therapy and become a music therapist that way. So um, there's a couple of different ways you can do it. And of course you can go on and get and hire, you know, get higher education um, in music therapy as well. So um, I, I want to say I've talked about this a little bit before, um, which is that I started out at a two-year technical college and then I transferred uh, to a school that had a music therapy program and I did three years there um, because I already had like a year's worth of liberal arts credits um, and some other things, uh, courses that I needed like psychology and, and human anatomy. Um, yeah, and so then I transferred to a college that had one of those approved programs. Um, our national organization, um, and I believe they're the ones that approve these programs, uh, college programs, um, our national organization is the American Music Therapy Association, um, and you can visit them at musictherapy.org if you'd like to learn more about music therapy. They have a lot of uh, good articles and educational materials uh, for people that would like to learn more about music therapy. Um, music therapists work on, so in my definition, I said that music therapy works on non-musical goals usually. So um, those goals are usually things like speech, uh, motor skills, cognitive slash academic skills, social emotional skills, um, you know, lo lots of different um lots of different types of goals that someone might be working on. Um, and music therapists work in all kinds of different settings, psychiatric, uh, special education. Um, they can also work in the hospitals. Um, yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of different, um, there are a lot of different places that music therapists, um, work and, and, uh, a lot of times, well, sometimes um, music therapists will also work with or alongside of other allied health professionals. So sometimes they'll work alongside a speech therapist or they'll work alongside a physical therapist. Um, or even in the hospital, you might they might work alongside a respiratory therapist or they might um, help provide support for kids when they're going through different procedures um, some music therapists even work in the NICU. I have a good friend that works in the NICU. Um, so yeah, music therapy is everywhere and it's growing and it's really cool. Um, I discovered it when I was taking a course in psychology at my, at the two-year technical college I was going to. I took a course in psychology and I think it was abnormal psych and I wrote a paper on music therapy and I was trying to decide what I wanted to do because I didn't, I didn't really know I was switching from veterinary technology, which I think would have been good for me as well. I think I would have liked it, but I was having so much trouble transitioning to college that at my grades were really poor. And I just, um, assumed that I had chosen the wrong major <laughs> and, uh, it's like, this is, this is not working. <laughs> and I s switched to liberal arts. And I think that kind of took the pressure off. Like, um, 
you know, with with that tack, you have to complete everything in two years. And the fact that I already had a semester's worth of horrible grades, um, or at least I thought they were horrible at the time. I don't remember what they were specifically, but I remember being pretty uh, down on myself about them. Um, I, I didn't even consider like retaking some courses or anything like that. I was just like, I basically just thought to myself, I failed and I must, must not be good at this, you know, and I switched to liberal arts that took some pressure off, um, found what I wanted to do, um, and switched to, uh, college with the music therapy program. Uh, so yeah, um, so college, uh, as a mu- as a music therapy student was okay. I felt like I had an idea of what college is like already. So that worked out really well. Um, I also had, um, going into music therapy, I was able to relate to people, um, because of, you know, having that music background already. I started playing viola in third grade. Um, and that's kind of a requirement to be a music therapist. You kind of have to have some music background because, um, you know, the, the school requires you to, uh, have a main instrument and participate in some kind of group. So for example, I auditioned for the program on viola, um, and then I was in the orchestra and, uh, I was also in a quartet, things like that. So, um, you kind of have to have that prior musical experience under your belt, um, to become a music therapist. So I had that to relate to people with, um, and participating in things like orchestra, for example, yes, it was considered a class and you had credits, but, um, it was also almost like an extracurricular because it, it provided an opportunity, uh, for, it was like a, it was like a structured environment where you could socialize and you had things in common and, um, you know, and, and I do not doubt that there were a lot of neurodivergent people, um, in orchestra. So yeah, um, it wasn't, I mean, yes, it was difficult, um, having to, cause I was a trans, I was a, yes, I was a transfer student, but I also lived at home. So yes, I had to drive there every day and spent all day there around people. But I also had the knowledge that I was going to get to go home at night and, um, be in a very comfortable environment for myself. Um, sometimes a lot of times I felt like I should, you know, say yes to social invitations to hang out with people on campus. Um, but I, I also, you know, if I was really tired and needed that time to go home, I would make an excuse to be able to go home. I've, I've done a lot of, I've and I've been aware of this that I've done a lot of what I thought of as flaking on people. Um so someone seeing like, "Oh my gosh, after this let's go do this blah 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 blah." You know, and I'd be and I and in the moment I'd be like, I didn't know what else to say, so I'd be like, "Oh, okay, yeah, that sounds great." And then the time would come and I'd be like, "Oh my gosh, I cannot do this. I should have just said earlier that I couldn't do it." But like when you don't have an an acceptable excuse and that quote unquote acceptable, um, 
you know, excuse like a doctor's appointment or I don't know, like, like an actual schedule, pre-scheduled thing. Um, it's really hard to make up an excuse that doesn't sound like you don't like the person or don't want to hang out with them because it has nothing to do with that. You know, it's that you have reached your social limit and that, and you are exhausted and you need that space to go home and recharge, you know? Uh, so that's, that's been something I've dealt, I've dealt with my whole life. And, um, I remember dealing with that in high school. I remember trying to flake, quote unquote flake, (laughs) and, uh, being, kind of being made fun of or teased uh for that or talk or talked into going anyway or um I had a friend that would kind of like if I didn't do what she wanted me to do she would get kind of angry and kind of use that to get me to do things um so a little bit of manipulation uh and I was very vulnerable to that and very um hard on myself for quote unquote flaking. So yeah, so that, that was a little bit of a struggle, but, um, so anyway, so then I got through, I finished up college and I went ahead and did my internship. So music therapists have to do a minimum of six months, um, an internship somewhere. Um, and they work under the supervision of, a board certified music therapist at an approved internship program. Now my internship was at a school for kids with special needs. Um, and my supervisors, uh, there were three of them, um, you know, were, um, overseeing my training. Uh, and the internship was located in my home city, home area, you want to call it. Um, and, oh, sorry. My thumb is, is like hurting from holding up my phone. (laughs) It was distracting me. Um, they had a place where you could, where their intern could stay. Um, it was a house that the school was renting so that people could come and students could go there and work on activities of daily living, like vacuuming, cleaning bathrooms, things like that. Um, and I was able to use a bedroom and a bathroom there. And I would just lock those up during the day so that, um, you know, so that the people, so that students could come in and do and clean and and stuff. But my stuff would, my personal belongings would remain private and locked up. Um, So anyway, I had a really hard time. I should have just lived at home. I had a really hard time, um, with living in this house. And I think it was partially the transition of living in this new place. Um, I think it was also partially that, and I don't know if I'm going to explain this well. Um, I felt very exposed there, um, it was in a downtown, not downtown, but like on the outskirts of downtown. Um, and I grew up in a very rural environment. Um, so like we live next door to a farm. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if that had something to do with it. Cause it was on a busy street. So there were definitely people, you know, walking down the street and, and traffic noises and things like that. So I don't, 
I don't know if it was that. I'm sure that played a part. I'm sure it, like I said, it was the new, new place that I was living. Um, the fact that it was in a more urban environment. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what else. Um, there were, I guess there were, I guess there were several different factors and I just, I just felt so, I just felt so exposed. That's like the best word I can think of. I, I remember just, especially at night and, and I have a lot of fear and anxiety around nighttime. I always have, um, lots of like catastrophizing, you know, when I was a kid, I used to be like sure that our house was going to burn down in the middle of the night. Um, to the point where I had, and I used to, I used to be convinced that there were also rational things like that there were monsters in my room. And then that's typical kid stuff. But a, a lot of these fears I used to, as a kid anyway, I used to use, you know, like OCD behaviors to cope with those anxieties. Um, as I got older, that kind of faded away, but I still had like the intrusive, anxious thoughts at night. And one of, so one of my anxious thoughts in this house was that somebody was going to break in. Um, so I used to check multiple times that the doors were locked. I guess that is kind of an OCD behavior. (laughs) Check multiple times that the doors were locked, uh, that the windows were locked and closed. Not that I I don't remember opening the windows ever really there, but although I don't think it had air conditioning, so I probably did in, uh, warm weather. Uh, and I used to lock my bedroom door at night also, which is probably not, which (laughs) I had a lot of, because of the fire fears, I used to, I had like, uh, conflicting thoughts of, oh no, I'm locking the door, which is going to keep me safe if somebody breaks in, possibly, but, (laughs) um, it's also not really safer if there's a fire because, you know, if I... Yeah, if someone needed to rescue me, that would make it more difficult. So, <laughs> so I had all these stressful, conflicting, fearful, anxiety-induced thoughts. Um, and it made it really hard to sleep. I would perseverate on them. Uh, and so that di- that definitely did not help the whole internship situation. Then there was the actual internship itself, which... The music therapists I work with worked with were amazing. Um, I still see them. I mean, pretty infrequently, but uh, we sometimes see each other at conferences and things. Um, I try to I try to attend conferences when I can, especially now that they're virtual. Although when they're virtual, it's kind of hard to to interact uh, with music therapists you haven't seen in a while because you know you're not seeing them. <laughs> it's all virtual. Um, but anyway, they are, they are amazing and none of this has to do with them at all. Um, it has everything to do with me being an undiagnosed autistic person. <laughs> um, so I had a lot of trouble, um, socializing with them and fitting in with them. Um, I, I felt like such an outsider, um, so uncomfortable you know it was a whole new situation and I was living in that new place so everything was just just that new feeling and that transition to something being new is just um it's incredibly uncomfortable um I also remember there being a lot of sensory issues well now I notice them as sensory issues I remember 
the fluorescent lights being too bright. Um, again, I didn't, I didn't have words for these things. Um, I, I wasn't, I wouldn't have been able to express these things probably to my supervisor, um, because I wasn't able to even express them to myself. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And, and there's a lot of that that's come with my autism diagnosis. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, oh yeah, I remember struggling with that, but I didn't know why. And then, and being like, oh wait, that's why, you know, I, um, the noise, everything was too bright and too loud and oh, okay, that makes sense now. You know, there's a, there's a lot of that that has gone on, um, since, uh, self-diagnosing and then formally getting diagnosed. So, um, but yeah, I remember, I remember it being too bright. I remember, um, I used to, I had to run both group music therapy sessions and individual music therapy sessions. Now the individual ones, um, went a lot better than the, uh, group ones. Um, because the group ones obviously were, uh, much more of a stimulating, especially, um, especially students that were more, um, either made a lot of vocalizations or were unpredictable as far as like moods or outbursts or meltdowns. And, you know, a lot of these, uh, individuals did have, um, an autism diagnosis along with other diagnoses, but, um, you know, it doesn't change the fact that, um, a lot of the unpredictability with their moods and the noise with their meltdowns, it doesn't change the fact that that bothered me. And so it's nothing against them. I fully under, I fully realized that, um, they couldn't help those things, um, obviously, but it just wasn't the greatest environment. And with all of these other things compounded, like I said, I mean, can I work with um, an autistic person who uh, might have meltdowns in my session when it's just me and them and the lights are turned down? You know, that's going to help them too, obviously. <laughs> so um, in, that, in a situation like that, I am much more capable of being an effective music therapist and an effective support for them. Then while this is all happening during a loud, noisy group, especially with multiple teachers in the group, um, it's just, uh, it's, it's a lot. It was, it was just a lot. Uh, I also, uh, my supervisor talked to me about how it was difficult to get to know me, that I seemed to have a wall up and I don't remember her exact words, but I did journal during this time and I wrote a journal entry about it that I read over when I was going through my formal diagnosis. I basically like, tr I was trying so hard to find anything from like my past that would, you know, help, um, help get me the formal diagnosis. And that was one of the things that I found that I didn't really remember until I read it, until I read that entry. I was like, oh yeah, I remember that and feeling, feeling so ashamed. I mean, I think she was simply stating it as an observation or and maybe hoping that it would kind of unlock um, something in me that would help me open up to them. Um, maybe maybe she thought like, oh, if she's aware that she um, 
you know, hasn't really opened up to us, maybe that will allow her to and be vulnerable and, and, and talk to us about herself and maybe explain why she has this wall up. Um, that was probably their thought process. But I mean, I don't know this. For, I don't know for sure what what their thought process was. But um, I just know that it didn't it wasn't meant to be shameful, but I took it as shameful. It was because that's just how I am. I judge, I'm too judgmental of myself. And, um, and I knew that it was, I knew that, um, and I might've said this to her as well, that, that that's been an ongoing, that's an ongoing issue for me. I, um, connecting with other people is really hard for me. Um, takes me a lot longer to like get used to people. Um, you know, I don't really know <laughs> who the heck I am. So it's kind of hard to let people know who I am. You know, I, um, I tend to morph into like how, what other people, how other people are. I don't know if I said that because I didn't really, I didn't really know what math, I didn't definitely did not know what masking was. And I didn't know, um, that autistic people tend to take on other people's personalities in order to, relate and get along with them. And, um, so I definitely did that. Um, yeah, so, um, that was a part of myself that I was trying desperately to hide and she saw it. And, uh, I felt like it feels like someone seeing you naked and like pointing out that you're naked and you don't realize that you're naked. <laughs> it's kind of like that kind of feeling like, Oh, Okay, well, I didn't think you noticed that. That's embarrassing. You know? Um, yeah. So it was just, it was, it was not the greatest environment for me. Um, and uh, I'm not saying that it wasn't, that it was an impossible situation for me. Um, you know, I could have perhaps had adaptations. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure simply knowing I was autistic would have like been huge for them and in, in their, uh, ability to help me through and support me through the whole internship. I think it would have helped a lot. It would have explained my social difficulties. Um, because I don't think they would, I think they would agree a hundred percent that I had so definitely had social difficulties. Um, not only with what I talked about with relating to them and having, having, you know, a, uh, relationship with them, but also, um, I was expected to, um, communicate with other professionals that were working with the students that I was working with. Um, you know, I was expected to go ask them questions and, um, bounce ideas back and forth, go talk to the, you know, not just the therapist, other therapists, but like teachers, um, and, and, um, I, I struggle with that a lot, partially because of the social skills, uh, but also because I have a lot of like relational difficulties when it comes to direction, especially when I'm already highly stressed out. Um, and so I was already highly stressed out and it made me very nervous to, walk around the school and like figure out where I was going. Um, I was terrified of getting lost. Um, I was really embarrassed because I felt like I should already know my way around. Um, I have always struggled hugely with asking for help. 
Um, because sometimes I just feel like I don't know how to ask. I'm too embarrassed to ask. I like worry that people are going to think I'm stupid or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, <laughs> so just, just a lot of difficulty there. Now, um, now that I'm a professional, um, I was able, I passed my board certification exam and all that. And I got, became board certified and could practice on my own. Um, I had difficulty finding a job. Part of that is just that there weren't a lot of music therapy positions open in my area. But also, um, just the thought of interviewing and stuff like that was really, really scary as an autistic person. Um, and there was definitely like, for example, I was offered an interview somewhere that I declined, um, that I should have, I should have really gone to, but I was too scared to miss work for my current job to, um, I had just, my current job was pretty new and I was really nervous to make people mad at me by, um, telling them that I was interviewing somewhere else or, I mean, I guess I didn't have to tell them, but I have difficulty with lying. It really stresses me out to have to lie, even if it's like a white lie or something like that. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like I could go on and on. Um, yeah. So I eventually became self-employed, um, which... I really enjoyed learning about kind of became a I won't say a hy uh, special interest because I'm not really interested in it anymore. But it was definitely a hyper fixation there for a while, learning how to start a business. I loved learning how to like, set up a website and become an LLC. And uh, the tax stuff wasn't as interesting. <laughs> but I like rules. Um, so I liked learning the rules and the ins and outs of setting up a business. Um, yeah, business stuff isn't really, it's, it's not something I thought ever thought I would be interested in. It's, it's, um, I don't know. It, uh, I get, I guess I have like a stereotype. I think I had a stereotype of like business owners. Like I always thought of like big business as like this awful, this bad thing, like evil or something. <laughs> Um, and I looked at, I think I saw like small businesses as like small business owners as these like highly competitive people that were willing to do unethical things to keep their business going or something. I don't know. I, I don't know where I got this stuff from, but it was like some, this like stereotype that I had in my head or something. So I didn't think it was something I'd ever be interested in. But once I got into it, I definitely started hyper fixating on it. And so I got and I learned a lot and got a lot done in a short amount of time, as many of us with uh, a tendency to hyper fixate do. Um, so I set that up and I slowly grew and eventually started taking started using contractors to see uh, clients that I didn't have time to see. Um, was pretty much full time at one point. I was contracting with some schools and things like that. But then I started having kids and my ability to be a good, uh, music therapist, which, you know, is a hundred percent my goal. 
Um, I want to make sure I'm giving my clients, um, you know, everything I have um, and making sure that I'm doing all the paperwork I need to do, like planning and documenting and if they are applying for some kind of reimbursement, making sure I'm providing the documentation for that. Um, but yeah, my, my skills as a music therapist kind of started to, um, do, uh, become not as strong because I was feeling too stressed out and it was just, it started to become too much. Um, mm. <clears throat> excuse me, drinking coffee. Um, I also remember having difficulty, like when I was pregnant, I started hyperfixating on uh, pregnancy <laughs> and childbirth. And I started having executive function issues because I was no longer hyperfixating on the business. I was hyperfixating on something else. And uh, I remember having a lot of trouble with, with executive function. And, you know, in the meantime, I'm just shaming myself over and over about how lazy I am and things like that. Um, so I had my first, um, child and I continued seeing clients, but I had cut back a lot. Like I cut back on the school. So I wasn't, I wasn't traveling the schools. I was going to were really far away. So I wasn't going there anymore. Um, but I would go in the evenings and he would take a bottle and it was extremely stressful for me to, to, time like when I needed to pump and when you know uh, how many clients could I see before I had to come home and pump and all those things um uh yeah um and then my daughter's pregnancy I won't get into the details but it was very very more stressful than my son's pregnancy and um I had to just stop seeing clients completely for a bit um and then, uh, did I start, I can't remember if I started back up before the pandemic hit. My daughter was about eight months when the pandemic hit. Um, I think I had started seeing a couple of clients, um, and then the pandemic hit, so I had to stop, and then I went back to seeing a couple of clients, and that's what I've been doing ever since. So, um, I have contractors seeing clients, I see a couple of clients, and then I do all the back-end stuff, like all the paperwork and stuff. So, I still... I still struggle. Um, I still, there's still so much that I wish I was better at that I could definitely make improvements on. Um, so it's, uh, but it's a work in progress. I'm a work in progress and knowing I'm, I'm autistic now, I think is really going to help. Um, it's going to, I'm going to be able to find help for my executive function. I'm going to be kinder to myself. Um, and yeah. So that's my, uh, that's my story as a music therapist. Um, I, I do get down to my, or I used to get down to myself a lot about the fact that I only see a couple of clients on Saturdays. Um, but I've been, uh, now I'm able to give myself grace for that. Um, there is one thing that I don't think I talked about that I wanted to, um, which is what burnout was like for me during my internship. Um, I, when I first 
you know, found autism and self-diagnosed and all, all of that, I didn't think I had really experienced burnout before um, until I thought back. Um, and one of the times I definitely did was my internship. Because um, like I, I, you know, I went over just a little bit ago how difficult that was and why. Um, but the burnout for me was I was continuously getting sick, which yes, I was working in a school district, but I was perfectly, I was perfectly fine for the first half of the year. And then I was just like sick nonstop. And it wasn't, it wasn't like sick a few times. It was like, I'm, I felt like I was sick just, just nonstop. And, um, I somehow managed to not take too much time off to the point where I had to like make up days or anything. Cause you have to get a certain number of hours in. And I did have, I think I had a certain number of sick days to work with, but, um, I'm like positive. I used all of the sick days up. Um, and so I kind of had to, uh, like, I'm pretty sure I could have taken more days off and just forced myself to come in. Um, besides being actually sick, I also was very physically run down feeling. I was very, um, I was having lots of meltdowns. Um, I felt really depressed um, and just like physically exhausted and achy. And I remember one time I uh, forced, I was forcing myself to go to my internship, even though <clears throat> I was having a really hard time uh, mentally and with the burnout. Um, and I remember I just broke down when I got when I got there and my supervisor thought that I was trying to say that I was sick. And so she said, well, of course go home. You know, if you're sick, you, you don't need, you don't need to come in <laughs> like go home and get, get well. Um, but I was like, I didn't know how to explain that. I was like, not sick as in like a virus. I mean, yes, I felt very achy and things like that, but I knew in my head that I wasn't sick with like a virus. Um, but yeah, I just remember crying and uh, she told me I could go home and I was just like, I, I and then I felt guilty because I knew I wasn't like truly sick. Like these sick days are supposed to be used when you're truly sick. And I wasn't like truly sick. I was like mentally struggling and so to the point where my body was uh, just felt very run down. So yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's uh, about it. Um, <laughs> I am going to make a promise to myself to, even if I listen to this, to not delete it. <laughs> I'm going to put it out there for everybody and, um, I hope it's helpful. And, um, I'm wondering if other late diagnosed autistics, um, are looking back at their career choice or career choices and thinking, like, man, if only I had known, that would have been helpful. I'm sure that's a common experience. Um, and uh, I know a lot of autistics, even though they know they're autistic, uh, still really struggle with work. I know that can be difficult. I am um, privileged to be able to stay home with my kids and do the paperwork side of things and such in the evening not great for my executive uh, dysfunction, but I have that ability. <laughs> and um, to also just see a couple clients and, you know, on the weekends and have contractors and things like that. I, I am lucky to be able to shape my life to what works for me. Um, 
and I kind of have even not knowing that I'm autistic. So, but I know a lot of autistics don't have that, um, have the ability to, you know, uh, work from home or do whatever would be best for them. As far as work goes, some people have to force themselves to go into work and mask all day and come home and crash and they, they deal with burnout and, um, I feel for them. So yeah. Um, if you would like to contact me for any reason at all, (laughs) um, suggestions, um, if you have respectful corrections as always, if you, or if you just want to connect, um, feel free to email me at autistic or autistic, what autism and outer space at gmail.com. Um, I have yet to set up a social media, but I will try to do that. Um, yeah. So thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it so much and I hope you all have an amazing day. Bye-bye.